have anything that looks political, we have people going to bail immediately. Don't, don't bail on me yet. Uh, but I do want to talk about uh, some things dealing with uh, some events that are taking place in our nation very soon. And uh, I think that uh, it's a biblical topic, and uh, we're going to address it in a biblical fashion. And uh, hope that some of the comments that we have tonight will at least uh, cause us to stop and think and to put things in, in proper perspective. Um, about this time of the year, well, every four years, and even in between then when there are other elections, we, we have a lot, of, uh, a lot of discussion about our, uh, our government, the system, who's the best uh, person for the position, and uh, sometimes those discussions are heated, and, and sometimes we have a lot invested in certain people, and we feel very strongly about our opinions about who can do the better job in leading our nation. And that's all well and good. But I want to remind us of a few things tonight. And, and one thing is to keep Jesus in his proper place. Um, I love this nation. And I wouldn't want to live anywhere else in the world. But this nation is not the end all. Uh, I, I love the benefits that come from it. I'm as nationalistic as a person can be. But I have a higher loyalty uh, to another kingdom that is reigned by, uh, that is ruled by a king, not a president, and he is perfect. And uh, so I want us to bring really attention to that as much as, uh, as anything tonight. Um, what do we do when our relationship to God conflicts with um, the politics of today? What do we do when uh, our faith uh, and uh, our politics collide? Right now, I dare say, and I don't know what the percentage is, but I dare say there are people in both uh, political parties here tonight. Um, Can we be in different political parties and still hold the faith of Jesus Christ and be brothers and sisters pursuing a kingdom agenda? that takes precedence over our differences in political areas? I would hope so. I would hope the governing factor in our life is not what political party do you belong to, but who is the Lord that you belong to. And I want us to look at that tonight. In just two and a half weeks, I guess now, um, we're going to elect our 45th president of the United States. Really a rather remarkable thing that uh, the transition of power can take place as it does in in peaceful ways without coups and and people losing their lives and without somebody saying, nope, I'm not leaving. I think I like the position and I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to use the army to secure it. Um, Those things uh, we we have not experienced. We've experienced a great degree of um, peace as we've tried to live out our lives here in this nation. And the purpose of this nation, is, or this, this lesson, and I'll reiterate this, is not to tell you how to vote. Uh, that's not what I want to talk about tonight. But I want to remind you of a few biblical truths tonight. This isn't about uh, the politics of today. This is about the Word of God of today. And here's what I want to start with. Let's just talk about the nature of government just for a few moments. If you have your Bible, you might want to open it to uh, Romans chapter 13, because uh, 
we see some uh, instruction given. And we talked about this a little bit in our Bible class this morning. But in Romans chapter 13, we learn something about the nature of government. First of all, government is God's idea. And I think that people have ascribed too much and, well, not enough uh, credit to government. There are some who think that all problems could be solved if we could just legislate everything in the proper way. If we could just get the Bible legislated, our nation would be wonderful. Well, I I wish that were so. I'm not against legislating what is right is right and and what is wrong is wrong. I'm I'm all for that. But having something written down in a book doesn't make it so. It doesn't affect the hearts of people. They still conduct themselves in ways that uh, may be disobedient to God. So the answer isn't just in legislation, but nor is the answer in just simply having hands-off approach. You know, back a while ago, uh, David Lipscomb was very influential in a position that, and had uh, access to a lot of young preachers, and he taught that our hands ought to be just off government completely, that uh, government is of the world, and we're about a kingdom agenda and we are not to concern ourselves with things of the world. And so uh, we as Christians shouldn't vote. We shouldn't participate in government in any way. And, and there's that side of it that I think swings too far the other direction as well. I think what we need to do is just simply go to the Bible and let the Bible speak to the, the role of government in our lives. If you back up in Romans chapter 12, actually, and you get to about verse 9 or 19, the apostle said, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Lord. If your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. In, In this passage, what is taking... Paul is saying, guys, listen, when someone does you evil... You don't take vengeance in your own hands. You give place to wrath. You don't go out and be vigilantes uh, finding justice in your own terms. You rather defer that vengeance to something else or somebody else. Well, we might ask the question, well, who is that? How do I get justice? How do I find satisfaction in this world? Well, keep reading Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God to those who resist, uh, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, I want you to notice the use of terms. Back up in chapter 12, verse 19, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Well, I'm not to do it. But somebody is. And in chapter 13 and verse 4, we're told who that somebody is. He is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. 
instead of being a vigilante, I'm going to go out and find justice. They didn't do me right. I'm going to go out and make this right myself. That's not what we're to do. We're to let it be turned over to the government. So the government, according to what Romans chapter 13, it's, it's an instrument of God. It, it is appointed by God. God um, has set up, well, he set up the home, Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, that was his idea, not ours. The church is God's idea. He set that up. He instituted it. He made the rules and regulations about it. And we also see that he has appointed government. That's his idea as well. And uh, the person who serves in the capacity of government is described as God's minister. Um, In what way? I mean, how can somebody who's not a Christian, how can somebody who maybe doesn't even believe in God be God's minister? Because God can use them through his providence to affect his ends. In the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar, an ungodly king, a heathen king, king of the Babylonian Empire, is said to be God's minister. How so? He didn't give deference to God in in his life, or at least there were times when he did, but wasn't a continuous practice. How can he be called a minister? Because God used him when Nebuchadnezzar didn't even know he was being used to accomplish the purposes of God. God wanted Judah disciplined, and he used Nebuchadnezzar to do it. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was doing it all by his own power and might, but he was mistaken about that. And the same is true with governments today. Um, We may not approve of everything, just like people back in the day didn't approve of everything Nebuchadnezzar was. But God still could use that person, whether godly or ungodly, to fulfill his purposes. So the nature of government, it was ordained by God, and it was intended by God um, to be uh, a tool in his hand to bring about certain desired outcomes. Those outcomes, uh, we'll talk about the function of government. What were those outcomes? Well, what God wants government to do is in Romans chapter 13, 1 through 4, to restrain and punish evil. When we know that there's a price to pay for doing wrong, that'll stop some people from doing wrong. You know, you may be tempted to speed a lot. You might have a heavy foot, and you might go down this this road right here, Oak Ridge Highway, and you might zip on down a road and give little care or thought to speed limit. But if you knew that behind, you know, some bush up the way, there's always a policeman sitting there, you slow down. Uh, it restrains you. What you may not be inclined to do in your heart, you might do because you know there's consequences if you don't. God wants government to restrain people. That was one of the purposes he gave it, to to cause people to think before they did things that would carry heavy consequences. But it was also to promote and protect good people. It was to restrain evil people, but also to promote and protect the good. Um, No government is against people being good citizens. Everybody's kind of in favor of that. Nobody looks down upon that, and and they find favor in people who behave in that fashion. And government is to promote the welfare of those who are trying to live good and, and honest lives. But here's what I want you to see. 
we have government given to us. We live in a nation here. Uh, Other people have their own forms of government elsewhere. But the nation in which we live, that, that nation is superseded by a loyalty that we should have to God. As much as I love this nation and as much as somebody else may love some other nation, my loyalty is, is to God first. Turn in your Bible to um, look at uh, a few passages you might want to make note of. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13. Uh, also Revelation chapter 17. Both of those passages say that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, In this world, I don't know that anybody holds as much power as the President of the United States. But there is someone who holds more power than him. There is a King of kings, a Lord of lords. And that's the one that I serve. That's the one who has my allegiance and my loyalty. While I can be loyal to those who are under him, my supreme loyalty is to the Lord himself. And where one might conflict with, you know, a a president, a nation may uh, establish laws and ask me to do things that run contrary to the king of kings, that's where I draw the line. I I do not follow in those, those matters. Also, we need to keep in mind that our citizenship is in heaven. Again, we have a dual citizenship. I remember back when uh, the Gulf War, you know, started, the whole thing, 9-11, and, and people were angry. Uh, the, the towers come down, the, the Pentagon is bombed, all this, the, the innocent lives in these planes are, are just snuffed out, families are forevermore changed, and a lot of people had a lot of anger. And they didn't really know how to, you know, well, what do I do with that? I mean, I, I, part of me wants to go over and just uh, get even with people. Is that bad to, to uh, seek out some kind of justice in this life? Or should I just be passive about it and, and just uh, live a Christian life? Well, I think both responses are appropriate. I think it's not wrong to seek justice when wrongs are committed in this life. I can have a loyalty to my civil authorities and uh, live in in hopes of uh, promoting justice in our nation and bringing to justice those who violate and and commit crimes uh, against the nation. I think we can do that, but at the same time, beyond that is my loyalty to God. We have a dual citizenship. I'm a citizen of this nation, but first and foremost, I'm a citizen of heaven. And what I would like for us to see, and these are just a few observations, and then the lesson will be yours, but here are some observations that I want us to take note of. I wish that more Christians would be as vocal about their Christianity as they are their politics. I wish we could get that in our minds. I know a lot of people have a lot of things to say about the presidential election, and rightly so. I'm not saying to stifle your thoughts, your views about the presidential election. Be as vocal as you want to be about that. But I want us to be as vocal about Christianity 
as I am about my nation. I want us to have the same kind of passion that I see when, when it comes to government and politics and our, our, our uh, chosen uh, you know, candidates. I want to see that kind of energy expended in our relationship uh, to, to God. Sometimes don't. I see people that are very willing to talk about politics, but they're very unwilling to talk about their faith in Christ. Here's another thing, just an observation. I, I wish more Christians would be as willing to promote Jesus. Um, I tell you, the, the the monitor is not working up here, and I'm I have these real little notes on this thing, and I'm having a hard time reading this. Uh, to promote Jesus uh, as they are to uh, their presidential candidate uh, to their neighbor, uh, people will go door to door, knock on your door and say, hey, have you thought about voting for so-and-so? Really appreciate your vote. You get phone calls. People work to promote their candidate. They they, uh, go and try to get people registered to vote. I mean, we we work to, to promote our cause. Can we not do that with reference to Jesus, Christianity? Do we put as much promotion into the cause of Christ than we do our political party or, or our political affiliation or the candidate of our choice? I wish we would have as much dedication to that as we do our politics. I also wish more Christians would be willing to uh, defend the doctrine of Christ as they are willing to defend their political platform. You know, there are two major parties in our nation. There are others, but there are two major parties, and and they each have a platform. You can go online and read what their platform is. Uh, Read that platform, and and people get behind those platforms. This is what I believe. This is what I stand for. Here are the social programs that I think we ought to have in place here, and and moral issues that I think ought to have in place here, and and people get behind and promote their political platforms. I'm never going to be a this because they believe this, and I'm never going to be a that because they believe that. We're very emphatic about our political platforms. Can we not be as emphatic about the doctrine of Christ? Can we defend it like we would our political platforms? You know, who are we going to tax? Are we going to tax the rich? rich? Are we going to tax the middle class? Who are we going to tax? Well, I want to be on the side that taxes this group of people. And we defend that. Well, that's okay. Defend it. But where's the same energy being expended in defending the doctrine of Christ? There will, there will be people who will speak against Jesus and his doctrine, and we stay silent. We don't say, wait a second. I don't agree with that. Here's what I think. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus taught. We need to be more vocal. What I'm trying to get across is that if we could just be as vocal about our religion as we are our politics, we would be in a better situation. And here's one other thing. I wish that more Christians would place as much importance in selecting their Lord as they do their president. Some people haven't given a a moment's thought to who is Lord of their life. They live their life. They they live for other people. They've given very little attention to who's going to be the Lord and master of their life. 
president, that's a different matter. I want so-and-so to be my president. I've given a lot of thought. I've watched the debates. I've, I've heard what they've had to say. I want them to be my president. We, we give a lot of thought and attention to who's going to be our president, but we don't give any thought to who's going to be our Lord. Just some observations. I wish as Christians we had as much zeal, the kind of zeal that I see during this political season, from brothers and sisters in Christ. Get on Facebook and look at, look at some of the things that are said. And I'm saying, I'm not against promoting whatever it is you want to promote that is, that is upright and holy. But there should be balance. If we can speak and be vocal for our candidate, then we should speak and be vocal for Jesus. Let me conclude with a few reminders and then the lesson will be yours. First of all, Psalm, uh, the passage that says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I want to remind you of that. The nation that is blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It's not the nation who has the most political power, most uh, military power. It's the nation whose God is the Lord. Don't ever lose sight of that. That plays a role in the survival and the progress and the success of our nation. also want us to realize that righteousness exalts a nation. But sin, now that's a reproach to any people. We need to remember that. We need to make sure that what we do and the, the uh, stances that we take are stances that promote righteousness and holiness, the agenda of God. We also need to realize that God's will will be accomplished with or without us. You know, there were times in the Old Testament when God said, I've had enough of this people, I'm just going to destroy them all, and I'll just start all over again. You know, my hands aren't tied by their disobedience. If they want to live that way, well, they can live that way. I can destroy them, and I'll just start all over again, and I'll fulfill my purpose just with a different people. God can do that. We, We don't hold God hostage We're not so great a nation that God will uh, bow to us and he would never dare do this to us because if this happened to the United States, do you know what that would do to the world economy? Do you know what that would do to the world? What What a mess that would throw things into? God is not bound to us. God can do whatever he pleases and will use whomever he chooses to accomplish his purposes. We're never so important or so powerful that God will excuse or ignore our unrighteousness because he needs us. He can do whatever he wants to do with or without our cooperation. And then finally, I want you to realize that the kingdoms of men may rise and fall, but the kingdom of God will never fall. That gives me hope. You know, there are parts of me some days when I look at some of the things we stand for, some of the things that are openly promoted by our civil authorities, the changes that have been made in, what, 50 years in our nation, the digression that we have gone through. It's disturbing, and I wonder, what in the world is going to happen to us? How long will God tolerate some of the things that we, we have done, the positions that we have taken, When will God bring judgment upon us for those things? I I don't know the answer to that. And it is a bit 
frightening to consider that God might bring judgment upon us because of our our wickedness. But here's what is reassuring to me. The kingdom of God will not fall. We may not be under the same government that we are under now. We may have a complete devastating change. We may not exist as a nation in a hundred years from now. But I know what will exist, the citizenship I have in the kingdom of God. In Daniel 2 and verse 44, Daniel sees this vision, or he interprets the vision of King Nebuchadnezzar, and and these kingdoms of men come and go, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greece, Rome, all these great worldwide empires, they come, they have a beginning, they have an end. They come and go, and another man steps in and takes a place, another man steps in and takes a place. It's just the way it is. But he says, my kingdom shall never be destroyed. In the days of these kings, God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And it won't be left for other people. Somebody else won't come in and take over someday, but it'll stand forever. And so whatever may happen to this citizenship that I have here, I have a citizenship that can't be touched. I have a relationship with a king that cannot be challenged because that is unbreakable, undissolvable. The Bible also tells us in Habakkuk 2, well, Habakkuk chapter 3, the very end of the book, Habakkuk is told the Babylonians are coming, it's going to be a mess. And to know in advance, to know in advance that our nation in, say, a year and a half, if, if we knew this, and our nation is going to crumble, and an a occupying force is going to come in and take over, if I knew that in advance, do you know what that would do to me? I, it would eat at me. Uh, we would be just simply waiting for that day to come. Uh, the fear, uh, the anticipation of this dreaded event... That's what Habakkuk had to deal with as a prophet. God told him, they're coming, it's going to be bad, and it's just a matter of time. Habakkuk said, I was sick, literally sick at my stomach, when I heard what he had to say. But Habakkuk didn't lose heart, he didn't faint, because he said, I will trust in the God of my salvation, though everything around me be taken away. Though my livelihood, my sustenance, though all of that be taken from me, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. You see, they couldn't touch that relationship that he had with the King of Kings. And I want us to be reminded of that as well. Whatever may become of us as a nation, I want health, wealth, prosperity. I want us to remain strong. I want us to be a place where my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren can grow up and, and enjoy what we have enjoyed in this nation. But if it were not to be so, it has no impact on my first loyalty, my loyalty to God. So as we pursue this election season, as we're about to put in office another president or re-elect a president to serve another four years. As important as that is in our society, don't get so caught up and lost in that 
that you forget your loyalty first and foremost to God. The kingdom of God is my first loyalty. And that loyalty ought to help give me guidance in selecting and uh, following uh, an agenda in this nation as well. And that's all I have to say about that. Uh, But I want you to consider uh, your loyalty to God. And I want to challenge you to be as vocal for Jesus as you have been for other matters that are of lesser importance. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God yet, why don't you become a citizen of his kingdom? You'll never have a better king. He's king of kings and lord of lords. If you're not yet a Christian, obey the gospel, become a citizen of his kingdom, an heir of heaven. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful tonight and you need to get back to that kingdom agenda and living faithfully as a citizen under the rules and laws that Jesus has set forth, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.